Ethiopia's downstream neighbors are fuming as the water of the Blue Nile gets diverted and the scenery gets a lot drier. I went back to this extraordinary river which is called the Grand Canyon of Africa. And when we started to raft downstream and suddenly the river dried up and we had to walk out. Coming up today on Travel with Rick Steves, adventurer Richard Banks tells us what he uncovered when he thought he'd be filming a whitewater rafting trip in Ethiopia. And two local guides take a fresh look at busy, chaotic Naples, where everyday life just invigorates the streets. And not far away are scenic resort islands and the heavenly Amalfi Coast. Definitely just spend a day pampering yourself on the island of Ischia. Go to the spas and feel like a decadent, ancient, aristocratic Roman. If you want a little bit of more chaos, of more activity, of more life, of vibrant, go to Naples. Looking for what's left of the Blue Nile and some Neapolitan fun? It's just ahead on Travel with Rick Steves. Today on Travel with Rick Steves, adventure traveler Richard Banks tells us what he discovered about Ethiopia and water rights on the Blue Nile. And later, two local guides take us around Naples for a fresh look at Italy's craziest city and its most scenic coastline. There's a lot of mystery to the Nile, and there's also a lot of practical water politics to the Nile. Richard Bangs has just got back from rafting the Blue Nile in Ethiopia. Richard, thanks for being here. Hey, it's good to be here. Well, a little bit of background. I went to Ethiopia a long time ago and made the first descent of several of the rivers there. Uh, including a section of the Blue Nile. I was always attracted to it by reading some of the great explorers who were on this quest to find the source of the Nile in the middle 19th century. And so I went and rafted this extraordinary river, which is called the Grand Canyon of Africa. It, it runs through one of the deepest gorges, and it's magnificent in every way. And I went back just uh, a few weeks ago, taking several producers with me, Peter Guber and, and, and several others. I sold them on the idea of rafting in the footsteps of the trip I had done, when we got there, we we, went, we started to raft downstream, and suddenly the river dried up, and we had to walk out. <laughs> and here I am with some of the top producers in the world, and, and in the middle of Ethiopia, we have to walk out. Uh, it turned out that there's a diversion project that's going on where they're taking water from the source lake to irrigate and create hydropower for Ethiopia, which is necessary in a country that's that's very, very poor. But... It's not something that pleases Egypt or Sudan, which are downstream. So let me get this straight. There's a lake in Ethiopia, and that's basically where the bulk of the Nile originates. Yes, Lake Tana. And the yep. Ethiopians are draining that for their own water needs. En energy needs. needs. Yeah, and exactly. the consequence is, if there's no Nile, there's no Egypt. Absolutely. <laughs> that's not overstating it too much. No, I, Egypt has lived in fear. Yeah. When I flew over yeah. Egypt, it's one green ribbon right. with a desert of sand. Right, right. Whoa. Without the Nile, there is no Egypt. This is something that has caused a lot of angst and a lot of saber-rattling, and it's something that has not been resolved. And one side, the leader of Ethiopia, believes that his primary obligation is to feed and clothe and give a livelihood to his people, and you cannot fault him for that. On the other side, if he diverts too much water from the Blue Nile, it could dry up Egypt and devastate one of the greatest civilizations and largest cities in the world, Cairo. When you raft down what must be the um, cradle of Ethiopian civilization, what do you see? Well, you do see a lot of Coptic churches, and one of the great legends of Ethiopia is that this is where the Ark of the Covenant is hidden. When the Queen of Sheba, who was the the empress of Ethiopia, went over to see King Solomon, they had a, a son, Mengistu, and he is credited with spiriting away the Ark of the Covenant. And some people think he brought it to Egypt. Most people think he brought it home to Ethiopia and hid it in one of the churches along the Blue Nile or on Lake Tana. And so people are forever searching for the Ark of the Covenant there. Oh, my goodness. So they must be just filled with, with mystery and uh, visual wonders. They have like the second highest waterfall in, in all of uh, Africa? Uh, not the second highest, but the second largest. Okay. Um, everybody's seen Niagara. This is called the Blue Nile Falls. There's just as that falls, which is about a third higher than Niagara and twice as wide. A magnificent sheet of water, but it is it is dried up essentially at this point because of the diversion. So tourists who go there will very often be faced with this this long, empty, scarred cliff face. Wow! Uh, so doing my guidebook's tier when I updated it means that they've got a new bridge or, or a new tunnel. But you go to Ethiopia, you got a river valley that's now dry, and right, you got right. a great waterfall that that's now gone. Yeah, yeah, the water's been diverted. So now, when you travel in Ethiopia, it's famous just for being desperately poor. 
Can you travel there comfortably as a tourist? Yes, absolutely. We just did, and there are quite a few that do so. I mean, Addis Ababa, the capital, has a lot of very good hotels. And Can great. you walk out in the street and be comfortable? Oh, or is yes, there yeah, just you can this go, glaring go, gap between rich and poor? There is a, a glaring gap between rich and poor, um, but it's a safe place. And as we all know from our travels, the sort of uh, danger aspect is overhyped in most situations. Right. You can go to the Mercado, the largest open-air market in the world, in Addis Ababa and just wander for hours. Wow, and, must be great with a camera. It's stunning. Tell me the nitty-gritty from a travel point of view, uh, visas, language, uh, safety, how expensive it is, and so on. Um, sure. Now, there are, there are eco-lodges and places to stay throughout the country, and most people will, will do a, a tour, what's called the historic route, where you go to the five great ancient cities, something like the rural cities you saw in Morocco. And you stay great accommodations, and you see things like Lalibela, which is the, the ancient city where churches were carved from solid rock. You may have seen photos of that. And you go to Gondor, where the castles are. And uh, these are early Christian churches going way back? Yes, uh, the, the 12th century, so very oh, early churches, okay, right. before most of Europe was was, right. uh, was building churches. Uh, and they're magnificent. Then you go to Gondor, which is a place of ancient castles. And it was here that J.R.R. Tolkien went in the 1930s and was inspired with Lord of the Rings. And it looks very much like that. And you go to the Simeon Mountains, and you see these extraordinary spired peaks that look like out of out of somebody's fabulous imagination, uh, and there are gelata baboons and thousand foot waterfalls, uh, and then you go to Aksum, which is where Queen of Sheba lived, and you go to Bahadar, which is where the the Great Falls used to be. And in the south, they have the Omo tribes. You may have seen them, the people that have the lip plates and have still very unusual practices, including stick fighting and and uh, bull jumping and these sorts of things. So as far as the practicalities, you don't need a visa. You can get one at the airport. You can just fly in, pay a little bit for the visa. Fifty dollars, fifty dollars for, for the visa. The language is Amharic, which is a an ancient Hamitic Cushitic combination. I would imagine people in tourism and people in commerce speak English. Yeah, so no worries at all, and they're very good guides. We all love our Ethiopian restaurants here in the states. How's the Ethiopian food in Ethiopia? Uh, the, <laughs> it's, it's even better than here because they have they have the fresh ingredients. Most of the injera wat that you eat in the restaurants here is made from imported tej which is their wheat that grows wild and fresh there. So it's much better in Ethiopia. Now, when you're on your rafting, when you get off into the countryside of Ethiopia, um, do you encounter any sort of wildlife? Ethiopia is, is filled with wildlife. All the great game of Africa is there. So you see the elephant and giraffe, et cetera. But um, it has several endemic species. So the uh, gelata baboons only exist in the, in the Simeon Mountains. Ethiopia is the Tibet of Africa. It's, it's got an average elevation of 8,000 feet and mountains that are 14,000 feet and above. So it's a it's a very high, high place. And it's got a Wally Ibex in the mountains that only is there. Gelata baboons, you may have seen photos of the big, scary baboons that are large, and there are thousands of them. You walk through them. They're troops, and they're everywhere. Hippopotamus? A lot of hippos and crocs. I've been on rafts that have been bitten by hippos and crocs. Bitten by hippos? Oh, yeah. Yes, very <laughs> Little zodiacs or something? Or what? They're inflatables. Avons were Avons, our, yeah. our rafts of choice. You got a hippo biting your raft. Yes, absolutely. I even what was that like? You couldn't. I mean, that must have been frightening. Uh, that was a, a little bit frightening. There was a, a crocodile that bit a raft, which is a little bit even more frightening because the crocodiles are predators, I and mean, their instinct is predation. They're there to eat you. They like meat. Hippos are vegetarians, so they're only doing it because you're in the way. Well, it's, you know, that, that does help to know what their motive is, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does. Well, <laughs> it gives you the panic meter. You know, where should I go? Carnivore or yeah, a vegetarian? Yeah, exactly, yeah. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. I'm joined by Richard Bangs, and Richard is talking about rafting through Ethiopia and what we can learn by visiting Ethiopia. Uh, for more on Richard Bangs' work, uh, his website is richardbangs.com. Richard, of course, the sprawling metropolis of Ethiopia, what, what is there, 80 million people in Ethiopia, a good percentage of them live in Addis Ababa. Tell us right, about the right, capital city. Right. Uh, well, it's one of the most beautiful capital cities I've seen in Africa. It's at 8,000 feet, and and it was built there because there are natural hot springs, and so the emperor was looking for a place to comfort himself and heal, and it's still a popular place to go for wellness. 8,000 feet. Does yes. it feel like 8,000 feet, even though it's at that tropical latitude? Yes, I think for most people who are arriving, particularly from sea level, you feel, you, it. It, you, you feel it and you have to adjust for a couple of days. And it's surrounded by these mountains called the Intoto Hills. That and are you actually there. said it's a beautiful city. It's a stunning city. And, wow. And, uh, you know, it's in, in many ways, it's the capital of Africa. So the Organization of African Unity is based there, and that's their, their international headquarters. When you're there, 
in, in that context of being there in Addis Ababa, do you feel like there's a stable government and general peace and stability, or do you feel like it's all falling apart and there's wars just over the horizon? No, I think you feel very stable. It's had the same leader, uh, Mele Sanawe, now for 15 or more years. There was a bad period in Ethiopia. It was run by Emperor Haile Selassie mm. from the 30s and, until the, the mid-70s, and then a bad guy took over, Mengistu Haile Mariam, who did this Red Death and probably executed over a million people and was awful. He's in exile in Zimbabwe. So a lot of the chaos and suffering in Ethiopia is because of bad dictators. Yes, as is true in much of the world. But it's been stable for a long time, and it continues to be a model for many of the new initiatives in Africa. If you and I were in Addis Ababa right now and we wanted to have a little fun this afternoon, where, where would you take me? <laughs> I'd probably take you to a Bunabait, and that's a, that's a coffee house. They have them all over. Coffee comes from Ethiopia, from Kaffa province. That's the origins of all coffee. And, and they uh, do it well there. Do they do it with a ritual? Yes, they do. They have, a, they have like a tea ceremony. They have a coffee ritual, which is magnificent. And Why and, is it magnificent? How can a coffee ceremony be magnificent? Well, you might even have, have said that about a tea ceremony if you were brought up on Lipton. Uh, yeah, that's but, a good point. But once you engage in it, I mean, it's it's full of, of precision and ingredients and, and ritual, traditional moves. And you uh, don't rush it, I would imagine. No, no. It, it, you know, a good coffee ceremony can take an hour and a half. And it's a very social experience as well. And, and very often it's a decorative, so people will dress up in their finery. Uh, so that would be a good way to connect with people and feel the pulse of that society. It would be. And that's where I'd take you. Yeah. Now, you were talking earlier about this river trip when you were with some people, and uh, all of a sudden, no more river. <laughs> Finish that story. What, what were you doing with these people, and, and what did you do after that? Well, we were rafting down to see the Blue Nile Falls, and uh, we didn't make it because the river just dried up. And because of water politics, one of the great rafting runs of the world has disappeared. Uh, so you just, what to do about it? Well, you, just, you, can, uh, you can hiked out, you deflated your boat, put it in your backpack we did. and go we, home. We did. We actually we gathered up some porters to carry it out, but we hiked out. Uh, That's one so, nice thing about traveling in a poor country. If you run out of river, absolutely, you can hire somebody absolutely. else to carry it. And they were happy for it because <laughs> it helped their, their economics. So. Well, Richard, so. uh, if, if somebody cares about this, this water problem and, and they want to learn more about it and they want to do something about it, uh, what, what do you advise? Well, the best thing to do is, is always to go and see and experience. It sounds like it's a quite incendiary. Uh, they could go to war over it, Egypt. And, uh, that is and that is possible, and if that happens, you're not going to want to go there. But no, but, but prior to that, but tourism why, can help. Before that, tourism almost always helps. If you look at the equation of the Earth, uh, the more tourists that go, the more they become emotionally involved in the situation, and the more they understand it, the better it usually becomes. Because a place becomes like family, and Ethiopia is a great example. You would never, because of the abstract problems there, want to go there. You should want to go there because it is one of the most remarkable destinations on the planet. Richard Bangs, Ethiopia. I learned a lot in the last few minutes. You got to go. Thank you, you very go. much. It's on my list. Uh-huh. It's on my list. <laughs> Richard Bangs also co-directed the IMAX movie, Mystery of the Nile, and he's the host of Adventures with Purpose on public television. Up next, two local guides help us through the hectic streets of Naples and steer us toward relaxing options nearby. It's Travel with Rick Steves. Yu viaggio con Rick Steves. I'm Alfio Di Mauro from Catania and I was Sicilian for I travel with Rick Steves. Yu viaggio con Rick Steves. Italy is my favorite country and when I think about Italy in the extreme, I think about Naples. 
I want to talk about Naples, and I want to talk about the most romantic coastline just south of Naples, the Amalfi Coast. I'm joined today by two Italian guides, Tommaso Pante and Nina Bernardo. Nina, you lived for four years in Naples, and now you're in Rome. Right. I spent four fantastic years in Naples. Now, Rome is and Naples are... Two very different things. Two very different. What do you miss about Naples after being in Rome? I miss the vibrancy of that city. I got to Rome, and everything felt really quiet. I mean, Rome is kind of insane, but if you go to Naples, suddenly... It's more insane. Rome Rome becomes sane, (laughs) and and Naples sets the new standard. Exactly. And I also miss the stunning beauty of Naples. I love how dramatic the coastline is. I love Vesuvius in the background. I miss the street theater of Naples. The street theater. Not not, not formal theater, but actually just the life. No, but just the life there. Don't you call it basso living or something like this? Yeah, the people who live in the basi, especially in the Spanish Quarter. Yeah. And because their apartments are so small, they do everything outside. You really don't need a list of sites in Naples. You don't. Just sit down with a coffee somewhere. (laughs) Now, when you think of this incredible view of Naples, take us there. Where are you standing and what are you seeing? I'm standing in Piazza Plebiscito, which is the main piazza. It's one of the biggest in all of Italy. And you've got dramatic Vesuvius in the background. And you've got that really sort of gentle, sensual curve of the Bay of Naples. You've got all these colorful buildings that kind of cascade down from the top of the hills. Um, you've got boats out in the marina. And that's also on the square there. Am I thinking in the right spot on the square? There's a big palace, and the, in every niche there's a different leader right. all of the Right, all the houses who have ruled over Naples in the south of Italy. And right. this reminds us that Italy didn't exist as a country 150 years ago. Right. And you have this interesting montage of basically ruthless, colonial, corrupt leaders. Right. Tell me about that. When you look at that whole string of leaders on that palace. I think that's where it really comes together for people because they see all of that and they understand a lot of the differences between the north and the south of Italy, that they've always been ruled by monarchies, that feudalism is a big part of their history. The south as opposed to the north? As opposed to the north, that had all these city-states and economic centers. Yeah, so in the north you've got elegance, you've got Raphael, and you've got Michelangelo, and Florence, and Siena. Right, exactly. And in the south you've got... You've got a lot of peasants. You've got a lot of peasants and a lot of Billy the Kids and tombstones and not a lot of money. Exactly. Yeah, but exactly. you do have a rich culture. Tommaso, when you're in Naples, what's the view that you like? Oh, I like, uh, I like Via Toledo. Via Toledo is, uh, is one of the most beautiful uh, streets we have uh, in the southern part of Italy because uh, the Spanish quarter are located all in this area. So it looks like you are, you know, you are 50 or 60 years ago, the time stopped that Yes, it's like an old Italian movie when you walk down via... With the Vespa. Via Toledo. Via Toledo, yes. And now, like Nina, you like the street theater. Absolutely. But, you know, on Via Toledo, I like the fascist architecture. Oh, yes. We have many buildings which... Tell me about that, the fascist architecture from Mussolini's time. Yes. uh, I mean, mean, personally, I don't like that structure because it's frozen for me. It's absolutely frozen. And uh, to see this squared building, uh, it's like... uh, uh, was the celebration for Mussolini's of the powerful of uh, of Rome of Italy? In it's prob- it's symbolic of Mussolini's attempt to bring order absolutely to the street yeah. theater of Italy. Right, it's yes. a absolutely. square peg in a round hole. These buildings are square pegs. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, nobody wants to celebrate Mussolini. No, but he was viable politically because he brought order to chaos. Yes, it brought uh, order to chaos. Uh, and uh, during the Mussolini time, I mean, my, my grandmom always said, you know, Tommaso, when I was outside and going outside, I always left the key on the door. Now I cannot do this. But that's because it was of Mussolini, because oh. it was, you know, very safe during Mussolini time. In Mussolini's time, your grandmother could leave the key outside the, the door. Absolutely. The door was opened of the, of the house. Uh, and also, it's very interesting because uh, Mussolini was very charismatic. He, he had a big audience of people always all around him. When you think of Berlusconi today and all of his sort of... Can I get my soapbox out? Bombastic buffoonery almost, it seems like, from a distant perspective. What is his appeal and how can he stay in power? Is it is it similar to the way Mussolini... It's very similar. And this is a character trait, I think, of Italians that um, we have to understand is that they like to follow a charismatic leader. They are a population of sheep. And so when you have somebody who's going to take you (laughs) and make everything okay, then you put all your thoughts, power, whatever, in that person's hands and but, let them take over. But I have to contradict you because, you know, sometimes I'm a, I, I agree with Berlusconi. I agree with Berlusconi because he did. He you made can't a, agree no, with Berlusconi. No, 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 because he made a lot of law. Uh, for himself. In, no, for himself. Also for me, for freelance people, not for the people which works in the government, but for the people which okay, work so individually. The, the individualist for, uh, for business. Yes, he's, for business. So entrepreneurs he, like he Berlusconi. He is a businessman and made law specific for the 
economy to grow and to give Except more opportunity. Except the economy hasn't grown under Berlusconi. Yeah. I'm sorry, I feel really no, strongly is, about yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> good. So, you know, I'm not really strong, but, you know, a little bit of stability we're having with him because on the other side, we don't have any charismatic figure. So maybe your grandmother would like Berlusconi also. Probably, yes. <laughs> she could leave My grandmother would hate him. Okay. <laughs> I'm Rick Steves. We're talking Italy, and we're talking Italy with Tommaso Panti and Nina Bernardo, two Italian guides, and we're in Naples right now. And, Nina, when you're in Naples, what smell comes to mind? The smell of baking cornetti in the morning. I lived very near Piazza Plebiscito, and right up the street, the um, the young boys, the scunizzi, so the young sort of street kids who had jobs making the cornetti in the morning. 4 or 5 a.m., they're already in there baking, so by the time I wake up and go downstairs, those smells are just wafting up. Nice. Tommaso, what is the Sfogliatella. Sfogliatella. Oh, absolutely. The Sfogliatella <laughs> smell is fantastic. It's what is so that now? Sweet. Yeah. It's sweet. Um, you know, it's, it's the pastry of yes, Naples, it's isn't pastry, it? Yes, it's the typical pastry of Naples, Sfogliatella Riccia. We have a different kind of Sfogliatella stuffed with cream or with ricotta cheese, so it's delicious. Nina, what is the sound that brings to mind Naples? Vespas and horns. Vespas and horns. Yes. Uh, for me, well, I'm more romantic, probably. <laughs> <laughs> what is your, your romantic? Oh, the ocean. You know, I'm walking, walking in Mergellina and listening, you know, the wind, the ocean. You know, there's uh, that wonderful promenade yes. out around the corner in the Santa Lucia district. Right? In the Santa Lucia district, in the, in the lower right part. Right along of the Villa Comunale, the public yes. park there. I, I never <laughs> discovered that until my last trip, and I thought, wow, I've missed a whole dimension of Bella Napoli. Especially if you go early in the morning there, that is one of the most beautiful section of the city, so quiet, and uh, yes, the atmosphere is special. You guys both sound like you like food, and Naples is a great place for, it's famous for pizza. It's got the best pizza in Italy. Now, I know people always say that when I'm in Italy, the best pizza is in Naples. How can that be? Well... I mean, do you go somewhere else? I go, never eat pizza out of Naples if, now. In Piedmont or Veneto or, or no. something, you have a pizza and you kind of go, this just isn't I don't right. even have it anymore. Really? It's terrible. You wait till you, <laughs> you wait till you're in Naples. I wait till I go back to Naples. So what is it? Exactly what is it? It's the water, it's the dough, it's the fact that it's just a little bit, it's not like a flat piece of cardboard, it's just a little bit thicker around the edges. It's, it's the fact that they use real buffalo milk mozzarella. Well, and that's right in the neighborhood. And that's too, right in the neighborhood, yeah. All right. So, Tommaso, how about you difference. for pizza in Naples? Oh, pizza is the best. I cannot I cannot complain. Every time I go there, everywhere I go, I find the best pizza, for sure. You don't find a place, a restaurant, or a pizzeria where the pizza is no good. You don't yes. need to go to some fancy four-star place. No, you just no, no, to... absolutely. You must go so in the five, most popular. Four euros, you get a pizza? Yes. You know, and that's like $5, and you got yourself a meal. Yes. What do you drink with your pizza? Uh, a nice glass uh, of red wine, for sure, yeah. or even a beer, or the most traditional is a Coca-Cola for the young people. That's a nice little dinner on a date, right? Yes. <laughs> when you go to the famous place that uh, invented pizza, what's the little pizzeria? They call there's it... two of them, right? There's well... Two. But what's the famous the, There's place? Da Michele and there's Trianon. Yeah, those two are yeah, across, those the, street two across the street from each other. Now, and people line up for the pizza there. It's incredible. And there's the simple one only has two different pizzas. Two different The margarita one, which is... The typical, uh, I mean, the, the typical, the original one, uh, probably this was invented when uh, Queen Margherita came with the three colors of the Italian flag. So, uh, green for basil, white for mozzarella, and red for tomatoes. So, wait a second. So, on a margarita named for the Queen of Italy when Italy was a relatively new country 140 years ago, yes. you have the red, white, and green flag yes. represented with the tomato the mozzarella, and the basil. And the basil, yes. Sir. Nice. Now, that's more than patriotic. It's tasty. Is it? <laughs> that's <laughs> Is that right? Very simple. I agree with you. It's very, very simple. You don't want to toss on a lot more things. No, no, no. Very that's, simple. That's the simple way. And Nina, what about this uh, marinara? Oh, the marinara is absolutely fantastic with just a little bit of basil or maybe some oregano, a little spice on the top. And no it's cheese? Delicious. No, no cheese. See, now there's interesting. For in the land of pizza, the most traditional pizzeria has two pizzas, and one of them has no cheese on it, the marinara. It would be essentially tomato, garlic, and oregano. Mm -hmm. Nice. Take me to a little corner in Spacanopoli, in a little deli, mm -hmm. and I want to ask the man to make me a sandwich from what he has. Mm -hmm. Tommaso, what would you tell the man? Uh, 
well, uh, I would ask personally with a sandwich with mortadella, the typical one, or for example with uh, prosciutto e mozzarella di bufala, for example, prosciutto crudo e mozzarella di bufala. This is another sandwich with olive oil, oregano, and so on. This is delicious. And he'll slice up even some olives and put on it. Uh, olives and capers. And also. Yeah. Yes. In a, in a deli. Do you know what I mean? This little magic <laughs> moment. It costs you $4 and you, and you have yes. an interaction with the, the man. The kind of place that's overflowing with boxes of pasta and you can't even get in there because there are people standing around and it's crowded with things falling off the shelves and you just want to stay there and look around and take it all in. Okay, so Nina, you just did a tour in the National Museum there and you go around back and up a few blocks up the hill and you find a little corner deli and you mm-hmm. need a sandwich. Right. What are you going to ask him to make you? I'm going to ask him for prosciutto and mozzarella di bufalo. That's it. So yeah. the, this mozzarella di bufalo, this really... Is worth it. Is worth it. Is. I mean, this is the area where we produce it's our best like mozzarella di bufalo. It's like cream on the inside. You know, good mozzarella. I'm not even an aficionado of it, but I know when I get good mozzarella. What, tell me about good it's mozzarella. Not, it's not plasticky. It's not rubbery. When you cut it open with your knife, it just oozes out a bit yes. of cream. It's so You almost want to play in it. You do. <laughs> you do. <laughs> and then you should eat the caprese, no? With the mozzarella. So mozzarella di bufala, tomato, olive oil, and oregano. This is the most simple recipe and the most beautiful, delicious uh, salad. But this is what Italian cooking is about. If you've got the basic, best raw ingredients, then you don't need much to yeah. make it fantastic. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're exploring Naples, uh, just three hours south of Rome. A lot of people are a little nervous about Naples, but I just think if you got one extra day in Rome... Get up early. Get on that train. You can get down there in two and a half or three hours. Give yourself 10 hours in Naples. Take the fast train. It's an hour and 10 minutes. Hour and 10 minutes? Really? Oh, the regular train. It's worth every the house. expense. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. You could have breakfast on the train and, and be there yeah. in time for the market action. Absolutely. If you're going to one market, Nina, in Naples, which one would you go to if you really want to feel the pulse of the city? I'm going to get off the train station and walk straight up the Corso Umberto. And very shortly after the main piazza, I'm going to make a left and just head into the used clothing ah, and yeah. the food and the fish. Is that the one where there's a gate to the wall nearby? There? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I love that place. And you've got people with swordfish. You've got people with everything You've and the vendors the, the, are shouting you over oh, and the, yeah. the melody of the market Tommaso where would you take me in the market uh, yes I would take in the same area for example or if you want uh, I can take uh, in uh, the market of clothes and shoes because in Naples we have a great price <laughs> from this point of oh, view oh yeah well it, it seems like everything just fell off the truck and they're selling it yes uh, that's probably what happened that's probably what happened <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, Naples, it's a very old city. It goes back to pre-Roman times, doesn't it? To the Greek period. Neapolis. Uh, Neapolis, a new city, Nea, new Polis mm-hmm. city. This was the foundation, the Greek foundation of the city. Uh, in fact, underneath Naples, still now, we have uh, an area which is very interesting. We have another city underneath the regular one. The Under the, the earlier city? Yes. The ancient, uh, the ancient floor plan or the ancient uh, ground level? Yes. And yes. that survives today. You can tour that? Yes, you can tour them. Every day we have a lot of tour. Uh, well, uh, sometimes, you know, it's a little bit scaring because uh, you go very uh, deep and then you have to pass to very narrow corridors. So these, I've been there. The, the brick walls are like just two feet across, yes. and if you're eating too many pizzas, you have a tough time getting out. Yes, or, le- or worse, if you're claustrophobic, uh, better you don't go there. What is the name of this? Um, Napoli Sotterranea. Sotterranea. Yeah, yes. so Naples Underground. underground. Naples Underground. Yes. Great. But there are a couple that you can do. You can do the one that's under the San Lorenzo Church, and that's the old uh, Roman street market, where you can see the laundries and the... And the Pillsbury Doughboy could get through. All right. Now, if you're thinking of the most important site, it's obviously the National Museum. Absolutely. There you see the treasures of Pompeii. Yes. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. That's the one important site. And from there, it's kind of like downhill into all of the fun of Naples. You know, you do the obligatory museum. Right. And then you get out into the streets. You walk right down via Toledo, and then you're into Spacanapoli. That would be the word to remember. Exactly. Spacanapoli, because it's the main, I mean, uh, it's the street which divides Naples into two sections. It means it's split Naples, Split Naples it? in two sections. It goes yes. all the way back 500 years before Christ, this street. Yes. Boom. If it's you walk the most down, colorful area. It's incredible. You know, if you walk down Spacanapoli... As a tour guide, what would you be sure I saw? For sure, you need to stop in Piazza del Gesù. There are two fantastic churches there, the yeah. Gesù Church, which is Baroque on steroids. 
<laughs> um, and then there's a great gelateria right there on the corner, so I'd stop and get ice cream. Yeah. And then I keep going down to San Domenico and maybe have a sfogliatella. That's, uh, that's that that's great pastry. That Tommaso was talking about. Right. Yeah. Tommaso, where would you take me on Spacanopoli? Well, I would take you in uh, Santa Chiara Monastery, Monastero di Santa Chiara. Mon- the, Is that on the Jesu Square? Yes. Okay. It's in, yeah. yeah, it's in that area. It's wonderful. It's a little peaceful area in the chaotic Naples, let's say. You find these little peaceful Pools, little ponds of, yes. of Neapolitan culture. Yeah. And then you just sit and you listen and you look up and you feel that you're immersed yes, in this true. wonderful little neighborhood of Italy. What if I wanted to go just turn the wrong direction and go uphill and go into the Spanish Quarter? What would you what would you advise me? I would say that during the day, you're fine wandering around the Spanish Quarter. Spanish Quarter is notorious for it's being been, a rough yes, end of town. It has, yes. And you're right there. You're, 100, you're 200 yards away from famous tourist stuff. Yes, you are. So you and there go. are some neglected, beautiful churches in I, the Spanish I Quarter. I took my uh, fancy TV camera in there with our crew once, and all of the mothers were pulling their eyelids down. Telling you to watch out. You know that little, yeah. that little. you pull your eyelid down, you go, oh, be but careful. The Spanish oh. Quarter oh. is also the place where when you're walking around, you might walk into a little shop selling wine where you can get a glass of wine for 50 cents. Well, that's where I had my little sandwich in the deli experience. Yeah. In the you don't Spanish want to miss quarter. that. Well, speaking of safety and so on, of course, a lot of tourists are afraid of organized crime. Actually, when you say mafia, you're talking Sicily, right? Yeah. In, in Naples, the Camorra. Camorra in Puglia, Sacra Corona Unita in in Calabria, Drangheta. But it's the same organization. I mean, it's uh, uh, the same uh, uh, the same history that we. What's have. the state of organized crime, just in a nutshell, now in Naples? In Naples, is it still a power? Still a power? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's, um, this is a kind of stereotype, I guess, mm-hmm. that we have. Because, uh, of course, uh, the Camorra is still involved, for example, in the garbage collection still now. In fact, in Naples, we still have uh, this kind of problem because, of course, uh, when this system was privatized, of course, uh, the Camorra... So organized crime bought up all the garbage collection companies. Yes, yes, yes. They've been creating an ecological disaster in Naples for over 20 years with their control of the garbage. Because I've been there on garbage strikes. when they've got Which are not officially strikes. They're you've just, got mountains of garbage. Yeah, you've yeah. got garbage as big as a UPS truck. I mean, right. just stacked there on right. the sidewalk. Right. And a lot of people weren't going, but I thought it was a very interesting time to be crawling around Naples. What's the current government like? Um, inept and corrupt, as most of the governments in Naples So that would be the, the Naples uh, mayor. Mayor, right? yeah. who is currently um, what party is Yerbolina. She she, I don't remember. She, she, she's from the left party. Okay. She might be. What does corruption mean? It means allowing people to do things without the right permits. It means letting people get things done um, because they paid you a bribe to do it. It means allowing people to... That sort of permeates Italian government, It does, it? I think, to a greater degree in that area. But as a tourist, it's not something you're going to readily be a part of or notice. So I wouldn't stay away from it just because of that. Well, 19, 19 in Naples. Eight seven seven three 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 Ricks our number as we take your calls next for Tommaso and Nina about Naples and the scenic region nearby. It's travel with Rick Steves. For a relaxing escape from Naples, you can take a ferry to nearby islands, or you can drive south for about an hour to what I call Lemoncello Land in Sorrento, and just beyond that. You can breathe easy in Positano and the Amalfi Coast. Breathe easy, that is, unless your heart's pumping a mile a minute as you survive the breathtaking scenery. Thankful your bus driver's skill is top-notch when it comes to those hairpin turns. I'm Rick Steves, and staying with us now on Travel with Rick Steves, we're visiting with two tour guides from Italy, Nina Bernardo and Tommaso Ponte. Nina lived for four years in Naples, and today she guides American visitors from her home base in Rome. And Tommaso was born and bred in Sicily. And he lives today just a little north of Sicily on a small island. He also makes a living guiding visitors around southern Italy. They're here to take your calls at 877-333-7425. You can also share your impressions of Naples and the Amalfi Coast region on our radio message board. It's on our website, ricksteves.com. Now, Naples, of course, is a springboard for the Amalfi Coast. And frankly, for a lot of people, one day in Naples is enough. They want to get down to the romantic 
Lemoncello zone, you know, the most romantic coastline, really. Sorrento would be the home base. Yes. Or you could actually get into the Amalfi Coast. Tommaso, if you were just going to take one sort of experience in the Amalfi Coast area, what would it be? What's the magic of the Amalfi Coast for you? The magic of is the view. Is the view. When you drive the Amalfi Coast, you are immersed in, in another world. It's like you are not in the Naples area. It's like you are in another completely different place. So absolutely gorgeous, the Amalfi Coast, very characteristic. Not only Sorrento, I would say also Positano, for example, is a very, a very interesting, very nice, and Amalfi. So Sorrento, Positano, and Amalfi, the three cities. Sorrento is the big city. Positano is the trendy place, and Amalfi is the historic Historic place town. with a beautiful church, yeah. We've got Brian on the phone in New York. Brian, thanks for your call. It looks like you're heading for the Amalfi Coast. Yeah, Rick, uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, I'm going to be getting married, and we're going to Italy for our honeymoon, and uh, we're starting off uh, in Positano. And we're definitely looking forward to it, but I was hoping that you or your guests could give some recommendations on what is the, beyond just looking at the, the beautiful coast or lounging on the beach, where are some particularly romantic spots to see when we're down there? Boy, I got to jump right in. When you, you know the little pullouts where you park your car to enjoy the view? Oh, yes. yeah. You stop yeah. your car every every five minutes. There's a pullout. You park your car, you get out, and you've got to literally tiptoe through the used condoms <laughs> to get to the viewpoint. I mean, <laughs> do you know what I mean, Tommaso? Yes, yes, absolutely. What's with this? Don't Italian kids have a place to go? They don't. <laughs> Italian adults don't have a place to go. <laughs> so, so they just go to these romantic viewpoints. Better to have a beautiful view and uh, make whatever, whatever you want. To be romantic. Make. Thank goodness it's uh, safe enjoying the view. <laughs> exactly. It's a safer way. <laughs> Sorry for that aside, Brian, but I, 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 when you think about how romantic it is, I've never seen any place in Europe that's littered with used condoms. I mean, it is that kind of romantic. I think we'll stick to the hotel. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's get back on track here. Brian's talking about his honeymoon in Amalfi, and he wants something special to in do. In the Amalfi Coast. Yeah, and he's going to be staying in Positano. Uh, are there concerts up in Ravello? I would definitely go up to Ravello. It's got really the the best views. And to me, that's sort of the aristocratic. Uh, it is, very much so, Amalfi but it's Coast. worth it. It's great. And then you can actually take some hikes around there. Yeah, you can. There's some beautiful hikes to take. Some uh, another, you know, off the beaten path place could be uh, Monte Pertuso. This is a nice Monte little Pertuso. Pertuso. Okay. The hole on the mountain is up above Positano. Okay, a very beautiful panoramic, uh, scenic drive goes up to Monte Pertuso. It's nice because there is many, many, many restaurants there. Absolutely off the beaten path, off of Positano, where you can really meet the local people, no tourists at all. So Monte Pertuso is a nice excursion. You can even walk there. So if you want to do a little bit of, you know, trekking, this is a good, a good way. There are a lot of very nice restaurants not in towns, and generally they're happy to come and pick a customer up with a car. Is that yes, your experience? Yes, in fact, exactly. Is, is that, worth, is that in, a good idea sometimes? Yes. I mean, in Monte Pertuso, we have some restaurants. So if you want to go to Monte Pertuso to eat, you just ask to your hotel that they organize a transfer for you. The transfer in general is included in the price yeah. to get there. So, Brian, if you, if you and your uh, fiancé are heading up for a nice dinner, you might ask at the hotel in Positano, where's a romantic place away from town? Make a reservation. They'll pick you up, and it's free if you both buy a meal there. That's great, and because my understanding is that the the drive is beautiful, but to actually be a driver is... No, uh, you don't want to be a driver. Hire a driver <laughs> no. to do the whole coast for you. No. <laughs> it's hire, worth it. Hire a driver. I'm so into that. It seems like a splurge, but if there's two of you, you hire a driver uh, in Sorrento for a day, and then he hangs out with the car or parks it, and you can just have a great time. It's well worth it. Yeah, worry-free. Yes. Yeah, it's horrible to park and drive on your own on the Amalfi Coast. It's very narrow. Do they still have traffic congestion uh, uh, regulations where you go north one day or south the other day or something there like that? There are some rules about that and buses of a certain size. So buses, because it can be congested just with the buses. Right, yes. All right, Brian, good luck. Well, thank you very I, much. I guess I shouldn't say good luck. I should say best wishes. Thank you. I appreciate okay. that. Positano. Oh, so romantic. I tell you, anywhere in Europe, if I was going for a romantic place. That would be the place. Positano. Positano I mean, it's place. chic and kind of boutique-ish and everything, and, but it but is just so a gorgeous. delight. And to go down there and have a, spend a little extra money with a restaurant right by the beach, or you can take little shuttle boats out to remote beaches from there. Yes. Uh, yes and that's, so, so. that's quite nice. Yeah. Lindsay's on the line in Salt Lake City, Utah. Hi, Lindsay. Hi there. 
Do you have a comment for um, Nina or Tommaso? Um, my husband and I will be traveling in southern Italy. We'll start in Rome um, and spend a few days in Rome and then head south. We don't have a specific itinerary in mind yet. We'd like to keep things kind of casual and open. And I'm interested in hearing the the cultural and dining highlights that you think are things to not miss. And especially if you have some advice about things that are a little bit unusual or off the beaten path, that appeals to both my husband and I. And we also really like to get outside. We like to walk and we like to hike. And so things that would incorporate either of those would would be especially interesting. I might stay, I think it might be worth it for you to stay in Naples a couple of days, see the highlights there, and then maybe take a ferry out to the island of Ischia which you wouldn't be able to do if you stayed on the Amalfi Coast because the transportation options are just not viable. And it's a really beautiful, very green, lots of vegetation. You can rent bikes and do biking. There's a a pretty high peak where you can do some walking. Hmm. And it's full of thermal spas. So I would go to the spas, definitely. And my feeling about Ischia is all the international tourists go to Capri. Right. And Ischia is Full enjoyed of by the Italians. Right. That's yes. great advice. But I'm a fan of Capri, for sure. Capri, for me, is a, is a magic place. Of course, even in Capri, which is so touristic, you find some spots which are not filled with tourists. For example... I would suggest the big experience of the chairlift. So get ah, yeah. up <laughs> to the very highest point, you know, of Capri and sit there, have a nice cappuccino there, and you will enjoy one of the most beautiful spots of the so island of Capri. So you're on the very top of the island, a 360-degree view, and it's like you just go on a chairlift. It's like a ski chairlift. Yes. You get up there, there's a nice little restaurant. And then, Lindsay, you're with the tourists there, but in 10 minutes when you start walking down, it's just you and the beautiful flowers. Absolutely. Here's something fun to do also. Everybody goes to the Blue Grotto, but there's little boat companies you can hire to give you a 360-degree trip around the island, and that gets you a little bit away from it all, and that's very accessible, not very expensive. Lindsay, does that help you out? That's fantastic advice. I hope you have a fun time on your trip. I hope we do, too. Thank you very much. Thanks for calling. You bet. Bye-bye. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're exploring Naples and the Amalfi Coast with two Italian tour guide friends of mine, Tommaso Ponte and Nina Bernardo. And Leslie's on the phone in Wellington, Florida. Leslie, thanks for your call. Hey, Rick. Glad to hear you. Listen, uh, the island of Ischia, there are places that Lindsay would love to go to. On the other side of the island, you can get there by bus. Is a place called Barano. And you get off the bus, walk down an incline of steps, and there is a place where you can bathe in healing waters that people have gone to for thousands of years. The Greeks discovered it two or 3,000 years ago. And when you get done bathing, you walk a few steps down to a great little restaurant on a cliff overlooking the ocean or the sea, and it's about 1,500 feet up. You could sit there, dine off fresco, go back into the waters, and the, the properties of the waters there are fantastic, but if you take it home with you, it only lasts for two days. It's like the magic disappears. And then the other part of the island is Forio, which is absolutely beautiful, wonderful beaches. For me, Capri is a little too overproduced on much of the levels because you've got people running after you with menus. And on Ischia, it's more laid back. Uh, if you want to do something very sophisticated, there are restaurants that are super high-end on the Via Roma. But then you move around the island, it's more rustic. And as you said earlier, some great thermal waters. You could even go to certain parts of the beaches where the hot thermal water is bubbling up right next to the regular ocean water. For our listeners, I want to make it clear that people know from Naples you can catch a ferry to the island yeah. of Ischia. That's spelled I-S-C-H-I-A. And then there's the main port, but you're saying take a bus to the far side of the island to Burano, which is B-E-R-A-N-O, and that's Absolutely. where you find yourself in the magic of Ischia. Nina, does that make sense for you? Yeah, she knows Ischia very well. Yeah. I lived there for six months. My husband was a jazz pianist, and he was the uh, pianist at the club Sun Ra, ah. owned by <laughs> And I have to say something else about Naples. The restaurant's called the Harlequins. They have a table of antipasti that had eight kinds of cold eggplant preparation, and the table was so beautiful. When you squinted your eyes, it looked like a Cezanne painting. I mean, it's culinary artwork. Uh, It's just, to me, Naples, you know, the North has the money in their Armani suits, 
and the South has a soul and the old soul of meal and uh, an intrigue. You could cut it with a 10-foot knife. I mean, that's... Whoa, that's Leslie, amazing. you've inspired me to go as I'm researching my guidebook to Ischia. It sounds like mm-hmm. a place that I have got to develop a little bit and send a few American tourists there. Absolutely. Six months on Ischia. Thanks a lot. Bravo. Thank you. Ciao. Grazie. So when we're thinking about this whole region, I'm always impressed by how much there is in the Naples area, in the Malfi Coast. When we're organizing our tours, I think the place we spend more nights than anywhere else is Sorrento, because right there, you're easy access with the Circumvesuviana train, that commuter train, one hour, and you're in Naples. You can take the boat out to Capri or Ischia. You can do the whole Amalfi Coast, Positano, Amalfi. You could side trip all the way down to Paestum if you wanted a long day. Of course, you can go to Pompeii, and you can go to the summit of Mount Vesuvius, all using Sorrento as a springboard. And if you had more time, you might want to stay overnight in some of those other places. But Sorrento really is a charming, practical home base. It's a good hub. When I think of this area, I think of lemons. Tell me just your... I don't think of lemons, but I do think of limoncello. Well, that's what I was going to think. So, yeah. <laughs> lemons. There's, I mean, I've never seen a region so um, in love with their lemons. I mean, there's big lemons, there's little lemons, there's thick-skinned lemons, and, of course, there's limoncello. Nina. Right. So you, you want to end every meal in the south of Italy with a limoncello. And if it's served correctly, it should come in a cold glass, and it should be almost frozen. It like a frozen glass. Yeah, a frozen glass. And it's, a lot of times it's a free thing they'll give you in a restaurant. Right, often they do. End a meal, and they'll just bring it over. Tommaso, tell me about lemons. Lemons, well, uh, first of all, in the area uh, that you're talking, in the Amalfi Coast, we have four crops a year of lemons there. Four times a year we have this big production. And the lemons in that area are very special because the fragrance, you, you hold the lemon in your hands and then you leave that lemon in the table you smell your hands and you will still smell the fragrance of that lemon. So the lemons must be very rich in fragrance. The limoncello is an easy recipe because the main ingredients are sugar, water, grain alcohol and lemons. That's it. So it's very, very easy. You can prepare it home just using this simple, uh, this simple ingredients. If you want, I can give you the recipe, of course. Tommaso, yeah. you sound like you make your own. <laughs> Let's put that on our website. We'll put Tommaso's Lemoncello recipe <laughs> in our website at ricksteves.com. Yes. You know, when I, I met a guy in, in Sorrento, he took me to his father's uh, lemon orchard, and we hiked up this very, very steep uh, path, and then they pulled lemons off the tree. They lopped them in half. They ground them out to make all the lemon juice there and mixed in the sugar and the ice cubes. And it wasn't limoncello. It was just a refreshing, refreshing. Oh, yeah. fruit of the vine kind of or fruit of the fruit of the Amalfi uh, drink with this incredible view of the Bay of Naples. Yeah. Wow. Wonderful. It's a dream. <laughs> it's a dream. Limoncello. That's just one of many dimensions of Naples and the Amalfi Coast. Nina, take us to one special sort of... Uh, slice of the Amalfi region that you'd like us to remember when we think I about I think it's area. overlooked, so I think you should go and definitely just spend a day pampering yourself on the island of Ischia. Go to the spas and feel like a decadent, ancient, aristocratic Roman. Take the <laughs> thermal waters. Take the waters in Ischia. Tommaso. Uh, well, I would take you in uh, Naples. So it's so, uh, so different from Ischia. Probably Ischia is too peaceful. So if you want a little bit of more chaos, of more activity, of more life, of vibrant, so go to Naples. Enjoy the beautiful Via Toledo, uh, the beautiful passeggiata, the beautiful stroll. Enjoy Mergellina. Enjoy Piazza del Plebiscito. This is exactly uh, the, uh, the heart of the Kingdom of the Two Sicilies. What was Kingdom of Two Sicilies 150 years ago? Today is Italy. Don't forget that exactly this year we have celebrated, we are celebrating 150 years of the unification of Italy. So before that unification of Italy, a major Italian state was called the Kingdom of Two, of Sicilies, two Sicilies. And Naples was the capital of this? Yes. For if Naples you go back to Napoleonic times, this is where you would find all of that cultural powerhouse is what we've been talking about today, the beautiful, tourist-friendly, colorful, chaotic streets around Via Toledo, Spacanapoli, Piazza Plebiscito. Plebiscito, yes. Which means it celebrates the vote they took when the people of Naples voted, they had a plebiscite, to join United Italy. Exactly. And live happily ever after? Well. Almost. That's another (laughs) They're still deciding. (laughs) Nina Bernardo, Tommaso Ponti. Thank you so much for sharing your love of Naples and the Amalfi Coast. 
with all of us travelers. Grazie. Buon viaggio, grazie mille. Happy travels, mille grazie. Ciao. Grazie. Guardi il mare come bello Spiran tanto sentimento Come il tuo soeve accento Che me desto fa sonare E tu dici io partio a Dio Ti allontani dal mio cuore Questa terra dell'amore Hai la forza di lasciare Some of our traveling listeners have been inspired to write a haiku poem about their travels, and we're looking for your original haiku as well. There's a link to send them to us in the radio page at ricksteves.com. Here are some recent submissions we thought you might enjoy. Bill Britton of Livermore, California, tells us that seven weeks in Tuscany inspired him to write this haiku, which uses a couple of Italian expressions he picked up. Loro Cefena out-of-the-way Tuscan life, la dolce vita. Sharon Bird from San Francisco left her heart in northern Italy. Lago di Como, tranquil, magical haven, longing to return. Gail Van de Bogart of Miami, Florida, recalls a summer scene in rural Tuscany. Winding road uphill, sunflowers, trees reach skyward, Tall shadows waving. But Janice Hendra from Severna Park, Maryland, had a somewhat different memory from her summer vacation in Italy. Sleeping in Pisa. Hot, screenless, mosquitoes, bites. Live on, Renaissance. Travel with Rick Steves is produced by Tim Tatton with Sarah McCormick at Europe Through the Back Door in Edmonds, Washington. Thanks to Keith Sticklemeyer for reading today's haiku. There's more in the radio section of our website at ricksteves.com, including Tommaso's recipe for Sicilian limoncello. We've also organized interviews from past shows into country-specific playlists for your portable player or smartphone. Look for the Rick Steves Audio Europe links on our website or as an app at iTunes. And join us again next week for more Travel with Rick Steves. Each year, Rick Steves tour guides take free-spirited travelers on escorted tours through Italy and beyond, one small group at a time. This year, we're featuring tours of Venice, Florence, and Rome, the heart of Italy, Village Italy, South Italy, and Sicily. For a free catalog and Rick's Tour Experience DVD, visit the tour pages at ricksteves.com.